Welcome back to the Jackets Online podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Quinlan, joined by our managing editor and recruiting guru, Russell Johnson. And we're going to talk about all things Georgia Tech today. And, um, you know, we've taken a little bit of time off. We had spring football and camp season started back up. So um, between the two of the two of us, we've been pretty tied up for the last uh, month. Hence the lack of shows. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the biggest thing that kind of, there's two big things that kind of went on um, over the last week in particular, we can talk about, um, obviously you came down to Atlanta and, and both of us were at the Rivals camp in Atlanta. And I was just kind of wondering what your thoughts were, obviously um, the way we do them now, just for um people at home listening is the camps divided into a uh, morning session. That's O-line D-line and then um, late morning, early afternoon that you get the skill guys going against each other. So it was a divided up section. Um, you want to start with the morning. We can talk about the O-line D-line and that was kind of interesting because we got to see um, really the first time in, in uh, two, at least two years for us, some of these kids because, you know, there were no camps last year, Atlanta camp didn't happen. And so like, you know, Drew Bobo or Tyler Gibson or whoever we got to lay eyes on for the first time, kind of what were your thoughts on that, that O-line D-line session? Yeah. Well, I mean, before I go too far into that, uh, just the overall, the, the concept of splitting the camp up into two, I think is something that, you know, rivals or in, camps all around should learn from and, and kind of utilize going forward. Uh, number one, because it gives the O-line, D-line more of a spotlight, uh, especially the one-on-ones, because if those one-on-ones are happening at the same time, the receiver DB one-on-ones are happening. Uh, there's there's a lot of moving pieces and a lot of things can get missed. Um, but it, with the, w- the way the camp was set up in Atlanta over the weekend, like you said, you know the O-line, D-line had their time in the morning. There was a, a little period in between where we could eat, where we were able to eat. And then the skills players came. Um, but, you know, you, you kind of talked a little bit about it with, with Bobo. Bobo played well. Uh, he looked a, a lot better than kind of I thought, you know, for somebody who has been playing in uh, South Carolina for the past little while. And then he's going to be off to Auburn, Alabama to finish his high school career. Uh, I thought he showed some improvement. Um, I thought Maurice Clipper looked a lot better than I thought he was going to. Uh, you know, when when Alabama offered last week, it kind of raised quite a few eyebrows. But you know, I'm not sure if he's at that level. But you know, Clippers definitely somebody for Georgia Tech fans to know, and, and really for anybody in in the state of Georgia. Um, and then you know, you you also mentioned Tyler Gibson. Uh, Gibson was I wouldn't call him underwhelming, but I also wouldn't say he's exactly what I think Georgia Tech's looking for in terms of their offensive line, because it seems like what Brent Key really likes is when he can recruit a guard that can also end up playing tackle if necessary. He doesn't want somebody who is so set in their ways at playing guard or really at any position on the line other than tackle that they aren't able to, to shift elsewhere. Uh, you've seen that so far with Paula Vipulu. You've seen that with Weston Franklin. You've seen that with several players already. And then I think you'll see that moving forward, you know, throughout the recruiting class. I mean, you know, they're, they're going after Riley quick, who understandably with baseball season still going on, didn't make it to the rivals camp. Like you said that Bobo, 
Bobo has the obvious, obvious family connections to Auburn, but Auburn's not knocking on that door right now. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure that they're going to. Um, I think that the the Bobo situation there, I thought it was actually funny. <laughs> you know, Mike was actually able to be at the camp. And uh, it's, it's a loophole that it seems like a lot of coaches are, are able to utilize. But, you know, you, you, you've but his got kid Bobo. was a legit prospect, unlike some of these other ones where, like, they have a five foot eight. Uh, you know, defensive end that weighs 160 pounds that gets in a camp. But no, I mean, you talk about Mike, Mike's uh, in transparency's sake. I've known Mike for shoot 20 years, probably now at this point. Um, and I got a chance to talk to him. I talked to him a little bit about Drew and that kind of thing, just kind of had an off the record conversation. And then I had one, obviously I, t- I interviewed Drew. That story is coming at some point, probably Thursday on, on Jackets Online. Um, and it was kind of interesting because they both kind of were like, I don't know that we want, you know, I don't know that we want to put him in that situation where he's playing for his dad, his dad's offensive coordinator. It's a little bit different than if his dad was the DB coach and he's an offensive lineman or something. That's a different even scenario. It's the same side of the ball. His dad's literally running the offense. I don't, if it was my kid, I wouldn't want him with me either. I don't feel like that's a great situation for anyone. Um, and I know some, some coaches have done that in the past, but uh, I just think it's, it's hard to do that. And it creates some weirdness in your locker room. So I do think that Auburn's, I don't expect Auburn to be a factor in it. And just from talking to Drew, that'll be kind of an interesting piece of all of this as well. Like uh, if they're not in it, you know, that, that's, that bodes well. Uh, you know, Brett Key's done some good work there. They really like that kid, I think. And, you know, th- there was a lot of guys to like at this camp. Um, you know, it was funny. One guy we were watching kind of closely who will rena- remain nameless. I think I got like his only two good reps he did in the whole camp. Uh, Russell had asked me, it was for another site to, to shoot some video of this kid. And I kept shooting it and it was bad, bad, bad. And then I finally caught him doing well. So you you just never know. Like these things are weird. We uh, you know at this camp we had a lot of offensive tackles. So you had guys playing out of position. I think really, out of you know this long list of guys we interviewed, their offensive linemen. I think there were two guards, actual guards. One was Tyler Gibson. The other was Noah Demerit. And the rest of them were offensive tackles mostly. And um, you know that was sort of an interesting kind of thing for us to watch too, because we, we got to see kind of them get really tested. And I think you kind of almost see a little bit more out of those guys that the guards and centers are always kind of unusual to watch in these, in these camp settings without pads. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And you know what, we can't really talk too much about O-line D-line one-on-ones without mentioning the fact that it's kind of like you said, kind of a crapshoot in terms of, you know, finding good reps and, and viral plays and things like that. But in reality, you know, sometimes it's hard for these kids to um, avoid their instincts, especially on the D line in terms of bull rushing, which yes. is exactly what they're not supposed to do. Uh, but that happens quite a bit. And, and usually that's either when they end up on the ground or the alignment ends up on the ground uh, more often than not. And then, you know, you've also got some, some kids who, who really, really, really perform well in these settings. And then you put them in pads and you have a, an edge rusher coming by them. The tackle can't keep up. He, his, feet aren't, his feet aren't moving fast enough. And, and you see that even just when you have, like at the camp, there was, there was one, there's a, 
underclassman offensive lineman who got invited to our underclassman challenge. And he was going up against like a 6'2", maybe 220 kid. And, you know, he, he's got a traditional tackle body and he's trying to shift his hips and get over there as fast as he can. But this kid, you, like, you know, he's not going to be an edge rusher in college. He's going to play linebacker if he even makes it to a power five. And he just gets to go right by him because he's able to just, you know, as soon as the ball, they say hut, you know, he just runs to the outside and the lineman can't keep up. Yeah. It's, you know, it's one of those things there's always that's, I enjoy watching that the most. And it's fun to have that kind of break up the middle of the camp in some ways too, for us, like, because as you said, you know, it used to be that we would split our time. So like, I love watching O-line D-line as a, a reformed offensive lineman, defensive lineman. Uh, and so I, I would go watch that and not pay attention to the one-on-ones with the skill guys a lot of times. So like, uh, you know, unless there was like at Atlanta camp a few years ago, we had Jameer Gibbs, like oh, I'm going to watch Jameer Gibbs, but like, unless there was something really drawing and that worked out well, cause you know, as we've kind of transitioned to talking about the skill guys, you had multiple quarterback targets for Georgia tech there. You had MJ Morris, you had AJ Swan, you had, um, the 23 kid, um, Malachi Singleton, Malachi Singleton, and you had the eighth grade kid who was my favorite kid there that, uh, other than AJ Swan, um, who was just unbelievable. This kid looked like, like he was like a sophomore in high school. It was like six foot four and literally like an eighth grade and never stepped foot in high school and was out there outperforming dudes that have scholarships, which was hilarious, uh, in and of itself. But, you know, it was a, it was an interesting thing. You not really the setting for MJ Morris, um, at all and then for like guy like aj it sets up really well or, or even malachi who both did well aj ended up winning the mvp um you know mj probably i don't think he hurt his stock necessarily but he didn't get that invite to five star that i think he could have got with a decent performance i think he was just i don't know if he wasn't there mentally or just i don't know what was going on there he just was not locked in um so it, you know it was interesting you know, the beauty of this too is, as Russell got to interview and Alex who works for us got to Alex in particular, he interviewed like three 2024 quarterbacks at this thing. Like it's funny. Some of the stuff that we got out of the camp that you may not see even on the site for a while, because a 2024 kid, there's not really a lot to write about until maybe June when they start camping, if then. So we can kind of yeah. roll some of that stuff out a little more slowly. Uh, kind of what were your thoughts as you, you watched a lot of the one, the uh, skill guys. I thought that, you know, the, the quarterback position specifically to start, um, you know, early on, you know, all, the quarterbacks almost all seemed kind of cold and kind of lacking energy a little bit. Uh, you know, there wasn't really much defined footwork, defined mechanics. It was just kind of, you know, going through the motions there in the first couple of drills. Um, but but as things picked up and as they did the uh, I don't know if I call it a mobility drill, but when they rolled they were rolling out, uh, you could definitely see a lot more of the um, the ability that MJ has, you know, in terms of you know making plays with his legs if needed, and also being able to make throws at that level in, in that space, you know, not having a offensive line and defensive line you know crashing on him. Um, but then you also saw the ability that that AJ Swan had to do almost the exact same thing, just without the 
imminent threat of picking up the first down and more with his feet. Um, you know, I mean, if you look at the last few national championships that have been won, they're not won by these quarterbacks that are, are, are running four five forties and, you know, rushing for a thousand yards. Um, but what you're seeing is, is these quarterbacks who have the ability uh, like Joe Burrow and Mac Jones to, you know, pick up a first down with their legs if needed and also have the ability to, to, to stretch the field. Well, and, you got to have that threat because at the end of the day, I think with the way defensive play, if you can't run, they'll just drop everyone into coverage and you'll be in a, you'll be in a tough spot there. So I think that's the evolution you want to see with like a guy like AJ. Can he run enough to, to work in the offense? He hasn't had to run in high school very much because he throws the ball so well and has some talent around him. You know, I, he looks athletic enough to me. Like that's kind of an interesting thing with him, you know, compared to a lot of the other quarterbacks they've kind of looked at, he's um, much more of a pocket guy. So, but Chaden yeah. Perry didn't run a lot either. Like Perry was like, and he had some decent rushing yards. He he's uh, very much of the Trevor Lawrence elk. Like he runs well enough. Like, yeah, exactly. Move the sticks. Like you don't need to air. That's what Aaron Rodgers does. Right. Aaron Rodgers was, at this, you know, at the, especially at this point in his career, is a guy that can escape the pocket and move the sticks if it's there, and that's what you need. And if you're playing on a team with the Jameer Gibbs and and you know whoever else they get, if it's a Damari Alston or or whoever down the line, like whatever running backs they pick up in the future, um, and it seems like Coach Choice is doing a really nice job of developing. You're going to have a lot of weapons around there, anyways, that you can lean on. And as the slot game develops, and you have the the young guys that they have like Rutherford and Haynes and, and uh, McCollum start to develop. It takes a lot of that pressure off too, because you can run that, you know, use that jet sweep option, the jet sweep motion and all that to throw off. You don't necessarily have to have your quarterback running around. Let's be honest too. Jeff didn't run a lot until the end of the year. Um, he fills the pocket well, which is something any quarterback can do. And, and also Dave Patnode's had, uh, Anthony Russo certainly wasn't flying around the field at Temple. So they know how to adjust the offense. I think that's one of those things, you know, they adjusted the offense a little bit when it was James Graham, like, or when it was, um, uh, what was his name? I'm blanking on it. Um, Johnson, uh, number seven, Lucas Johnson. Lucas was not a guy, you know, he'd lost some of his wheels after he had the foot injury and, yeah, he wasn't flying around either, and they were able to scheme for him. So I think you can – if a guy's a good enough quarterback, I think you just take him, and you can maneuver your offense around it. I don't think this is a – they need to have a passing threat. They don't need the quarterback to be the main rusher in this type of offense. So I think people don't need to get hang, hung up too much on that. But, you know, obviously MJ's a guy that people wanted for a reason. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens here as these quarterback dominoes start to fall over the next few weeks where he ends up in all of this, like, cause he could end up um, pushing himself in a really weird spot at, um, in terms of his recruitment and what his options are come three weeks from now, you know, if he keeps pushing off and not deciding and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. I would, I would even, I would even minimize that to um, I would even minimize that to two weeks, possibly maybe even less than that. 
Um, these dominoes, they're about ready to start falling rather quickly. Uh, you know, A.J. Duffy, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday night. Duffy committed to Florida State today. Um, everybody and their mom knows, well, subscribers on Jackets Online at least, um, MJ Morris said on Sunday after doing a video interview talking about the Georgia Tech spring game and doing another interview talking about NC State, he did an interview with the Florida State site in which he named Florida State his leader. Um, those words on Sunday meant a lot more than those words do on Wednesday. <laughs> uh, there, there are no more quarterback spots in Tallahassee available. Uh, so I don't see, number one, him ending up there. Number two, I don't see him visiting there again. And I honestly wouldn't be surprised if possibly there's one more conversation between Morris and the staff at Florida State. Um, but th that relationship, if there ever was one, is over. So now for MJ, what he needs to do is either take a step forward or take a step back. Yeah. Take a step forward and make a commitment somewhere. You better do it soon. Because if you don't, there's some other options elsewhere that, that people are starting to really consider even possibly more at a higher level than he is. Well, I think people are adjusting their boards right now. This is sort of the get off the pot moment for a lot of the, particularly the quarterback position you have Braden Davis, who will make his decision on Friday. Right. Um, yes. You have some other, that's going to lead to a whole other set of dominoes of kids making their decisions. And as you get those things, as those decisions come down, it, you know, shrinks the market and it changes who the options are for everyone. Right. So each one of the quarterback commits has a sort of a trickle down because really at the most anyone's going to take is two and very few schools are doing that with the numbers this year. So, you know, MJ has a little bit of help just because he's an athletic kid, but you know, I, you know, who are his options if Florida state's full now that's Georgia tech, NC state and Nebraska, the schools he's talked about uh, recently. And yeah, he could also look back at Arkansas still needs a quarterback. Well, I mean, that's uh, what it's going to come down to if he's not careful here because Cincinnati still needs a quarterback. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a little bit of a different animal West, than West Virginia still needs a quarterback. I mean, I mean, you've got options. It's just not the options you probably wanted as a, a, a dual sport athlete and a, a, a dual threat as they, they say. And maybe he wants to get out of Atlanta and maybe that's, you know, playing into all yeah. of this too. Well, it, it should be interesting to follow his recruitment here going forward. I think that um, I just think Georgia tech wants to get their quarterback and move along. So I don't know that MJ is going to be the guy here. I think that uh, I think they got a, other irons in the fire. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that, but, you know, since we're talking so much in depth on, on MJ, do you think he's intimidated by Jeff Sims? I, you know, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, Jeff's a guy that theoretically Jeff has four years left, right? Uh, on paper, he, this year didn't count. Um, he's a, a really athletic guy, confident guy, um, is young. You know, I, I think that he has a better skill set um, in some ways than MJ or more refined. Anyways, I think his game's a little more refined. His passing certainly is. 
at this point. And um, that that's an interesting question. And, and, you know, I think you have to have, I think if you have an, a Jeff Sims in a room, you got to have a guy who's an alpha that's willing to be there and compete right up against him and not shrink away with it. That's where I do like an AJ Swan, right? Like, I don't think AJ Swan's intimidated by anyone, like from what I've seen, but I think MJ shrunk away from competition at our camp, to be honest with you on, on, on Sunday. Like, I think he didn't like being in that, in that group of quarterbacks with a bunch of other guys who were his peers on a similar level and were throwing the ball better than him. And so, yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Russell? See, I, I'm kind of on the same page as you in terms of, you know, him, it, it definitely being a, a possibility. Um, you know, I know he started out his high school career at, at Carrollton and, you know, whoever you believe, there are several different sides to the story as to why he left there and is now at Pace Academy. And then, you know, there's a lot of rumors going on about, you know, him possibly leaving Pace Academy. Um, it, it just seems like there's some some outside noise. I'm not, not really outside. I would say it's in the home, not out of the home with, with him. <laughs> that is, you know, re- really, really, really um, kind of almost controlling the situation. And, you know, at, at some point, they have to realize that they can only control so much of the situation. They're not the ones, you know, who have to go potentially – all the way to Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah, I or, mean, yeah, I mean, and by the way, those people may also have to think about the fact that they're going to have to spend a small fortune following around their kid playing in the Big Ten or playing at NC State or wherever, you know, and I think that's something that's lost a lot, a lot of these parents I always notice. I was like, you know, one of the conversations I'll sometimes have with somebody, I was like, you know, you got to think about what this is a conversation I have with not, not recruits necessarily like people I know in my personal life who have kids who play sports in college, right. That are not necessarily like play soccer or whatever, or baseball or non, you know, not, not non-rev sports, even like swimming and diving or whatever. And they're like going to their kids stuff. I'm like, how much are you going to spend traveling to go do that? Right. Like if your kid plays at Nebraska and you live in Atlanta, Every single day, every game's a road game. So you got 13 if they go to a bowl game. 13, that's 13 flights because you're not driving anywhere. Where can you drive to in the Big Ten from Atlanta? Like easily, nowhere. So you're hopping on a plane every single week for 12. I mean, that's tough, man, like for anyone, especially for 40, 50-year-old adults, 60-year-old adults. Like, I don't know, man. I'm not, I you know, I and I have a son that wants to be a D one athlete. And I, you know, I told him, I was like, you gotta, if you want to play and you want us there, you gotta make sure when it's time you think about places that are closer to home. If you want us to be coming to your games. And it's amazing to me, like how many people don't even think about that piece of this and the small fortunes people spend on, uh, on that stuff, you know, uh, the one other kind of disappointing thing and, I've done three rivals camps um, in all honesty here, uh, went to Dallas, went to Miami, and then uh, Russell and I went to Atlanta and the three Georgia tech commitments who are slated to come didn't show up to any of them. Uh, that would be uh, the offensive lineman from Florida. Um, the 23 kid from Florida, 
and then um, Antonio Martin uh, this past weekend in Atlanta, right? Yeah. And so that was sort of a bummer. Um, usually they show up so if they say they're coming. So, And then Bonner, um, I don't think he was actually – he had ever said yes, he was coming, but those other three did. Yeah. So that was a little bit frustrating. Um, yeah. I was, yeah, I was also a little bit disappointed. Some of the the targets, you know, I really wanted to see, you know, Nathan Vale. Uh, there's a lot of differing opinions on on him and his ability. The the safety from Harrison and out in Kennesaw, um, and then you know everybody's been talking about Mumu Ben Wahad for several years now. I feel like he's been a, a recruit since he was like in the seventh grade. <laughs> um, but you know, as he's you know reached the the six foot barrier. It seems like his recruitment's been uh, picking up, um, but so you know, really kind of disappointed. I didn't get the chance to see him. Um, you know, Kyle Eford, the linebacker from Decula, really wish I could have seen him. Uh, you know, have to either get him on a camp on campus at Georgia Tech for a camp this summer week that I can see, or even get to a, a game there this season. Um, but then. You know, it was weird. There was like a there was some Lee County kids there, but you know, Jaron not the ones you wanted. <laughs> yeah, Jaron Willis didn't come. Uh, Tyrus Washington didn't come. Quayshon Sapp didn't come. Quay Carter didn't come. But twenty four defensive tackle Omar White was there, winning reps and and, and looking and pretty darn good for a high school. What would that be? Finishing up his freshman year. Yeah, I think that's right. Well, for someone finishing up his freshman year, I mean, he, he he looked the part. He was beating some. He was beating that 122 kid we were talking about a little bit ago. He, he beat him yeah, he did. nine out of ten rips. Yes, he did. That was a, He put up some highlight tape for himself. Um, yeah. For sure. Yeah, you know, it was, it was an interesting – that's been sort of the interesting thing, and I get it with COVID and everything else that, that um, that, you know, that's an issue and – Obviously, Willis, I think he's getting ready to – I think he's getting ready to make a decision, so maybe that's why he doesn't want to come. A lot of times you'll see that too. Kids don't want to be at the camp when they're ready to to make a decision because they're just getting hammered by everyone there to tell them what's going on. Right. That's why we thought MJ wasn't going to show up. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, it's funny because MJ showed up at like the last second. We are literally watching like – so they have sometimes like a B-list of guys that – they bring that can come if guys don't show up and those kids were coming through the cycle. And then I saw the number that MJ was supposed to wear. I saw him from behind. I was like, it looks like the right size, but I couldn't really see him as well off in the distance. And I was, I was like, Oh, he showed up. Cause I was, I was like, we were both mad that he wasn't there. And then he showed up. So that was, uh, that was at least encouraging. Um, you know, there was guys that showed up that didn't, didn't participate too. that got there late. So that was another, our, our five-star uh, defensive lineman showed up late and yeah, couldn't couldn't it, participate. That was that was an interesting situation because you know he told everybody the same same reason why he wasn't coming and, and you, like if if that was just an excuse that was a a really descriptive and in depth and kind of gory excuse to to for why he wasn't going to be able to compete. But you know nonetheless he showed up and you know he he talked to reporters and. And, and gave the latest in his recruitment. Um, you know, as I've said the the past few weeks, I feel even even a little bit more strongly about it, stronger about it um, today than I did then after talking to him. 
you know, Georgia Tech has a, a legit chance with him. Um, are they going to get the, the, the chance publicly and like the, the national spotlight media? Probably not right now. Um, you know, if it all goes well on the, the OV, which I mean, nine times out of 10, you hardly ever hear about a bad official visit. But um, if, if all goes well with the OV, I think that may be when you kind of start to see some national momentum. Um, about Georgia Tech having a, a, a real chance with him. Um, and, and, you know, another thing that with, with Williams is, is that he was slated to commit early. So was his really good friend and, and someone he hopes to potentially play with in college, which is Kristen Miller from Cedar Grove. They were both set to commit early. And then some things happened. There were some, some YouTube videos or something. I don't remember what it was, but something slowed down their recruitment. And they were unable to commit. And that's really helped Georgia Tech because if he would have committed, it would have been to the University of Georgia. And, and that kind of would have just put a, a quick end to all of this. And there wouldn't be all this hubbub about a, a five-star D lineman and we wouldn't have had to talk to him. But instead, you know, he's got Georgia Tech, UGA, Alabama, um, Kentucky. I don't, I don't, I don't know the connection there, but he's was talking about potentially getting out to Kentucky for an unofficial. Um, but they've been can, doing, you know, by the way, they've been doing well in their recruiting. Uh, Stoop seems to have sort of stabilized that program the last uh, five years, and they've started to trend up a little bit with their recruiting again. So that's kind of an interesting subplot in the SEC story that Kentucky's um, seems to be stable now uh, for the first time in a really long time. Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. Um, you know, since we've, since we've already touched on, on the two of them, did you want to uh, go through and make, well, I mean, we've already kind of made a prediction for, for Jerron Willis. Sure. I think I made, I made mine the, well, technically my wife put the future cast pick in for him while we were driving um, to start off my vacation back at last in late March. So that'd be last month now, almost over a month ago. Um, so, but then you joined what was that earlier this week right you put your future cast in for him yep and uh i'm, I'm not sure if i'm gonna end up putting a future cast in for Braden davis but i do expect that you know when it comes time for him to announce on friday i i think he'll end up you know playing in the sec which is something that you know he won't admit and his dad won't admit but you know his dad played at tennessee and playing in the sec is something that has been really intriguing to him i know Georgia Tech fans hear that all the time and kind of gag, but I, no, think I mean, there's legitimately Carolina. something about that. It's like anything else, right? There are kids that want to go to Notre Dame or there are kids that want to go to, you know, if you grew up on the West coast, maybe you want to play at USC. Like that's your dream school. Um, Midwest kids. There's a lot of them that want to play in the big 10 in Ohio state or Michigan or whatever. Uh, down here, it's Southeastern conference, right? Like they're the dominant topic. Clemson's, pushed back on that somewhat but let's face it really since Jimbo left Florida State there hasn't been a solid second uh, top tier ACC program either so you went from a time of you know where there was consistent usually two programs you had Florida State Virginia Tech when they came to the league gave them a little bit of a counter punch you've had points where you know Georgia Tech was good you know Virginia Tech was good again Florida State was good again, Clemson, and then Clemson's built up and Clemson's kind of took over. And 
So I think you need a little more balance because it's not just always Alabama every year, though it seems like that on the SEC. But they always had, you know, LSU just won. Um, you've had Auburn win. You've had Florida win. Everyone but Georgia, basically, of the power schools have won, <laughs> won uh, fairly recently. So it's like, yeah, I get it, man. Like, and you're bombarded with it, right? Like, if you, if I go to, the, if I go to Walmart right now and, and, let's say I drive up to Woodstock. Um, I'm going to see a bunch of SEC crap in the Walmart. Like, you know, if I go to Cracker Barrel over off Interstate 75 over here, they got a bunch of SEC crap in there. They might have a Georgia Tech hat or two or a couple shirts or whatever, but that's what these kids see, man. And so there is something to all of that. And then it's not going to change until, you know, people start winning if, if, Jeff starts winning a lot and gets back to sort of where um, Paul had the program, at least in terms of being a coastal contender from like 08 to say 16 or 14. Yeah. That, that, that's when you can start to fight a little bit better with some of these kids too. Like, but until then it is, you know, there's going to be an uphill battle with the, the ones that get star crossed by the SEC. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, thank you kind of hit the nail on the head with with all of that especially you know with the the walmart and crackle barrel so uh, just a question are, are the the crackle barrel employees wearing the georgia stuff or no 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 just, no so if, if you have you never been to a cracker barrel wrestle no no i have but you know they, they have the store with all the bric-a-brac in the front and if you you know they have clothes and all kinds of stuff they have these displays with like college football stuff or like t-shirts for whatever um, even in some of them, they'll have like the local high school or whatever. If you're like driving down in South Georgia, for example, you might see like stuff for the, the local high school in the Cracker Barrel. Um, so, yeah, you'll see like the UGA shirts, the red and black. You'll see you might see, depending on where you are in the state, Auburn or if you're in South Central Georgia, you might see Florida State um, or Southwest Georgia, uh, Alabama, Auburn. Um those kinds of things. And you'll have like the token Georgia tech, uh, if some of them, some of them, not so much. And then, uh, the Walmart ones definitely kind of, if you are like where I live, you would see Georgia tech stuff. Cause I live in an area where there's a lot of Georgia tech people. Um, so there's actually de demand for it as well. But if you go like to where I used to live up like in Canton or something, I don't think I ever saw a Georgia tech thing for sale at like a walmart or target or something the whole time i lived up there so um and that's an exaggeration i don't want people freaking messaging me oh but i bought so you know it, it's just not the same man like you know it in your heart of hearts um and now it's even more fragmented since atlanta united started because that's taken up shelf space too so you got braves falcons uh georgia then probably Georgia Tech, sort of in that order. Um, and then at Target, like they'll have like the local high school stuff. So like the tar one of the targets by me has like uh, a Laster stuff or Pope or Walton or whatever. So um, it's a legit thing. And, you know, subconsciously it feeds into it, I think, a little bit too. And um, it also just depends on what kids are looking for, man, too. Like if you um, – want you know to go to a party school and that's what you're about and you know all of us know like kind of how that's going to play out so uh that factors into a lot of our decision making as we 
try to handicap recruits and, and kind of where they're going. But all in all, I think it was a successful uh, couple of weeks of camps. We have two more on the horizon. Uh, one has really very little to do with Jackets Online, which would be our camp in Indianapolis. It's also Mother's Day weekend. So that might be, uh, we may be partnering out, that out to some some friends to cover that for us. And then I'll be up in New Jersey because that's where the in-laws live um, for the rivals camp up there. And I'll get to see uh, South Carolina commit Braden Davis at that time. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I think that's where he's going, but um, maybe he shows up there. But uh, they have what's his name? What's the other kid's name? It's in Delaware. Um, I'm, I, I, we call him TD. So, so that kid might be. I was trying to get you to say it. Um, he so might be walk. there. Yeah, he might be there. There's a couple offensive line targets Georgia Tech has. Um, that nece- won't necessarily be the a, a huge Georgia Tech camp, but. We're out on the road again, um, trying to do stuff. Obviously, Tech has their camps in June. We're hoping that's a successful venture as well. Russell and I have been already crunching camp dates and kind of what we're going to do there. And, you know, as we look at um, things slowly to returning to normal, even had the SEC announce or getting ready to announce they're going to have their media days again, which is uh, something I'm very happy that I don't have to attend. Uh, that's like a big zoo thing. I don't, I'll, I'll be curious to see if the ACC does theirs in person or not. I still wouldn't be shocked if it's virtual again, but um, yeah, things are starting to, to turn into new normal. I won't say normal, but a new normal. And um, you know, things continue to evolve right now. The transfer portal remains something we have to kind of monitor uh, the big news there recently was that the the transfer rule got passed, um, where you get the one time waiver. Yeah. Uh, so it was uh, officially passed today. Yeah. So I think that um, that's something to really kind of a uh, little bit of a game changer because you can't be like a total jerk to your kids anymore. And where you've seen this the most, actually, to me, is in basketball, where these coaches who have to those of us who've covered them or know them coaches who have bad reputations are having a massive like influx of kids. That's what happened to Greg Marshall, at Wichita state um, happening to the East of uh, Atlanta right now, a little bit. And uh, you're starting to see, you know, guys, um, guys leaving the, uh, you know, leaving these coaches that, maybe overpromise and under deliver. So I, it's going to be an interesting thing. That's one thing that I think Josh Pastner's done a really nice job with is he's gotten these kids that were hell bent on getting out of Atlanta, then didn't like it to come back the Kyle Sturt events and the Jordan ushers and Devion Smith now. And um, I think that's going to be a great thing. And the, the beauty of those kids are they can't transfer anywhere because until they graduate from college, they're stuck because they have, they can only transfer and not sit out if they're a grad transfer. So you're, you, those kids are all basically stuck with you now. So you get out of having to worry about that transfer portal piece anyways. Yeah, definitely. And then, you know, another added piece the the ACC did recently was they completely got rid of their interconference rule. Yeah. That one was pretty atrocious. That's the SEC still hanging on to that one. Yeah, they'll, the they'll hang on to that to the very end. 
because uh, Nick Saban doesn't like it. That is correct. <laughs> that um, is the number one way to put that. But you know, Coach Saban's going to eventually lose out when there's some sort of another ugly transfer situation. He's already had a couple with Kirby over in Athens with kids fighting over them transferring, and I'm sure it's it's coming. Um, on the basketball front, you had Moses Wright sent give his farewell, something we've been talking about for a while. I mean, short of God forbid he hurts himself, um, I, he's not coming back. You know, um, he's going to go play in the NBA or the probably more, more likely the developmental league, um, kind of cut his teeth there, which is smart for him to, to focus on whatever the NBA wants from him. Um, can't begrudge a kid from that. I think he'll be a second round draft pick. Uh, what else? Uh, draft starts tonight as you guys listen to this Thursday. Um, we should see some Georgia Tech action on Saturday. Jalen Camp and Presley Harvin are both on draft boards, sixth, seventh round. So it just depends on, again, that's one of those things where it depends on who's picking and what they need at that time and who's left on the board it's the sometimes it's better to be an undrafted free agent but either they could go either way there where they get drafted or, or go the undrafted free agent route and i think this will be the last year where you don't see a guy drafted on um on 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 friday i think they're going to have a, a top three or four round guy um by the by the next draft cycle. I just think there's too many guys that sort of will have high enough draft stock um, on this roster now that that will kind of break that that long drought they've had sort of since um, having an early round draft pick at Georgia Tech. Um, it's been it's been a while. So I think that's sort of the next thing that the Jeff can kind of hang his hat on if he can get done um, with the football program. Obviously, we just had the spring game. Uh, you know, Russell's on an airplane. I'm not even sure if he's had a chance to watch it yet. Um, mean old boss sent him on an airplane during the spring game. Uh, you know, to me, like, it was an entertaining thing. It, it very much fits with Je what Jeff wants to do. Jeff wants to sell his vision of Georgia Tech, his brand. He wants to sell recruiting and have it be fun for the kids, right? Those are the things he talks about to try to build the winning culture that he wants the blue. They don't give a damn if you didn't like that. They weren't tackling or he was doing whatever he's, he's running his program for him to develop it and bring kids in. So yeah, they had fun with it. They kind of juggled some of the rules a little bit there to create a two minute situation for Jeff Sims. And then in the irony of ironies, Jeff Sims scores in like 30 seconds on three plays. And, um, they leave too much time on the clock and almost give up another touchdown there at the end to with Demetrius Knight uh, with the, the number two offense. But all in all, I, th I thought it was cool. I think people got to see a lot of what we got to see in the spring. Just you get to see what, um, you know, Jeff's uh, continue to develop a little bit. The young wide receivers, Kyrick McGowan, um, who really is a Swiss army knife. Like I've been, I've, kept talking about how this dude can play anywhere in the field and you saw in the spring game he lined up in the backfield they used him in the jet motion um he lined up outside some he can do everything on the field he's a, a great pickup and he can actually run the football with power behind him from the slot position unlike a guy like a marion brown who 
was going to fall over if you got a hand on him. Like, to be blunt, like you, the only way that works consistently is if it's not clunky and you run a smooth motion and the dude's confident running off the edge. And it was kind of cool. You got to see Jameer Gibbs lead block for, for uh, McGowan on a couple of plays. They showed some two back stuff. They showed two back with motion with the slot guy, which was interesting. Um, so a lot of different stuff. Uh, the tight ends got used for once. You had a really nice drive where both Dylan's got, Nice catches. Devaney had a nice long catch down the sideline. And then Leonard got the, the touchdown um, and a nice red zone call, which is what you want to see from those guys as they start to develop. One thing people forget about them is Leonard was like a legit high school tight end, but um, was undersized coming in and put all the weight on and got a lot bigger. Dylan Devaney was a wide receiver basically in high school. So he's they've had to learn. Um, a lot in two years really under the fire. So I think this is where you should start to see those guys kick it up. Billy Ward had a couple of nice plays as well. He's a guy that people forget about who didn't, you know, probably was really hurt by the weird uh, fall camp they had last year, not being able to, to do stuff. And then, you know, it'll be interesting. Uh, the one kind of thing I'm really curious about, and Russell, you can, probably chime in here is how do these receivers that are coming in they have four that aren't on campus now how do they fit into this when they come in because that's going to be a really deep room of of a lot of really inexperienced guys yeah um i think you know that that conversation it obviously starts with the the two four stars and and you know james blackstrain who i would project to be you know on the outside and then you know, Leo Blackburn from Westlake, and I mean, you could kind of put Leo wherever you want. And I think that's where Georgia Tech fans are really hoping to be able to see, you know, Pat Node's creative prowess in terms of different ways to get him the ball. You know, I'm not saying he's Kyle Pitts or anything like that, but you know, he, he's not a dissimilar skill set, though. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a similar skill set, similar frame, similar ball skills. I mean, it, it's just, if, if you want to dream as a Georgia Tech fan about what Leo Blackburn's role in the offense is going to be, go watch Florida's offense from last year. Yeah. No, I mean, he's um, he's a really interesting player. Um, they get the two slot guys coming in that are f- both fast as crap. Um, yeah. And Jamal Haynes and Malik Rutherford. Yep. So I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see kind of how those guys jump in. They don't, that's a position where they really benefited because Kalani Norris had a huge spring and kind of stepped up. They were looking for either him or Nate McCollum to step up. McCollum still got a ton of skills too. If they can find um, some nice consistency with that group, I think that um, that's an area where, where they can really plus up um in terms of the, the the production there, because it wasn't great last year. Marion was really good the first year when everyone played nine in the box against them, eight in the box. Uh, less good when he had a safety on the top of him and, and a slot corner on him and was getting jammed at the line of scrimmage at every play. Uh, it was just not as effective for him. Yeah, and, and you know that's where these other kids can benefit. Like they're not going to get thrown into the fire. You got Kalani who's got three years in strength and conditioning. Now you got Carrick McGowan who's got five. Um, you have right. uh, you know Nate who now has a year in. So 
they're not going to be, and then those guys are small, like they're, they're decent sized body size. Kalani can play outside receiver too. So um, I, I think they're looking a lot better there defensively. Um, it, it looks much more like what you would expect. They can get after it up front now. So um, they're getting bigger D tackle. That's still D tackle is always going to be a project. Like, um, it, it's hard for everyone to recruit defensive tackles. It is not a Georgia Tech issue. Alabama, all of these places, they're, you know, they get the elite guys, and then everyone else in the country has to develop guys in, in, in their own. So, um, you know, I think they're getting there. Makai Scott uh, impressed me a lot this spring. He's, he really uh, benefited from that year at South Carolina, getting his body, um, you know, carved up a little bit better. Uh, I think TK, when he's able to get fully turned loose will help there and and i think the defensive end they got an embarrassment of riches so that looked a lot better linebackers much more athletic uh even with tyson out tyson was looking really good so it's unfortunate he went down um and you got quez and ace ely now that's a pretty good combination with charlie thomas mixed in uh and then katavian and and kaya wright has kaya wright's more of a sub package guy so you got some you got options there tatum Tatum looks like yeah, a, I was gonna say, don't forget Tatum. Tatum looks like a guy who's playing on Sundays physically. He's just got to get his mind uh, to the right spot and understand what he's looking at. And I think when his brain catches up with his body, I think he's got a chance to be really dangerous. He, he shows flashes at times when he sees it and knows what's going on. Um, he's really, really active at linebacker and, and is athletic enough to, to make a lot of the plays that they haven't been able to make there recently. Secondary uh, really good. The guy who's impressed me the most this spring was Derek Allen, lining up at he lined up basically at all five spots in the defense um, this spring in the in the secondary. He played slot, corner, nickel. He played sa- both safeties. He played both corner spots, um, and played in some sub package stuff too. Just a freaky athlete. Um, I'm glad they're trying to figure out how to get him on the field. I like seeing Trace Willing play a little nickel in the spring game when uh, Wesley Walker was out. You know, I think Wanye and Tariq will be a lot better. Um, I think they're – I think overall there's a lot to be excited about there. And you get Tobias Oliver who had a really good spring and Zamari Walton and Trey at corner and Derek Allen getting mixed in there a little bit. Miles Brooks, who also looked good to me as well. Uh, Spider Sims had a, a nice spring game. So I'm excited to see what they have. I mean, I like the talent. The talent's up. Someone asked me about this in the mailbag the other day. I think the talent's up and it's starting to get older now, which is where you should start to see the next jump. So now it's on the coaches to, to convert that into dubs. And, you know, that's what everyone's going to be watching. It's going to be watching the offense. Can they score points and the defense can get off the field. So I think those are the big things. Uh, quickly pivoting here, Russell, so we don't keep you up too late. Um, UGA finally, uh, gets knocked off by Georgia tech after, uh, you know, a rough, uh, it's been a rough season for Georgia tech baseball. They really needed that one the other night. Um, I, I, I joked with you that it was going to be a long midweek game when I saw it was six to nothing or whatever in the second inning, I was like, Oh dude, you're going to be up to like 11 o'clock tonight watching this game. And sure enough, I was right. Yeah. Yeah, you were. Um, you know, like you said, it's been a, it's been a real up and down weekend ever since, Georgia Tech got up into the the top five in the national polls. They've kind of, they were on a, a steady decline. And then, 
I can't remember what though the Virginia series is where things kind of just fell out you know Virginia was one of the coldest teams in the country like the entire country not just the ACC not just the region the entire country at that time in the um, season and they had they won two out of three against Georgia Tech and that really kind of turned their season around and and (laughs) yeah that works isn't it (laughs) for, for Georgia Tech it's been the other way you know they've They've been kind of, you know, treading water a little bit here and there. Um, you know, they they lost the series to Florida State. Um, you know, at one point they were looking like guaranteed hosts in a top eight national seed when um, Baseball America and D1 Baseball did their first like field of 64 projection. Now they may not even make the NCAA tournament. And, you know, it, it's just a, a lack of consistency, you know, untimely errors, a lot of them. And, and really a lot of the decision-making, which is, you know, really kind of a lot of people on the, the message board are, are questioning oh, how much longer Danny Hall is going to be the, the coach and blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, on Sunday, when they were able to avoid the sweep against Florida State, he got his 1,300 win. You know, there was a big hubbub about that. The, uh, the players interrupted his Zoom call and were um, talking to him about everything, of course, me, I'm sitting in traffic on my way to the airport <laughs> during the <laughs> during the Zoom call. But but anyways, you know, it, it's just like you said, it's been a, a real up and down season. You know, they've they've got Kennesaw State this weekend and a rare non-conference opponent this time of year. And you know, if they they want to have any kind of tournament resume, in my opinion, this is gonna have to be a sweep. Um, you know, they've they've gone too many series with these, you know, two out of three, one out of three. And, you know, they're at the point of the year now where it's put up or shut up time. You know, sure. if, if you're going to, to be a tournament team, show your tournament team. You know, and, and if they get into the tournament and they get a favorable draw, sure, anything can happen, especially with the rotation they have. You know, you get a, a good start from Brant Herter and, you know, something happens and Andy Archer's pitching well, too. I mean, that that's where the team is so dangerous, but you also could be two and out, you know, Herder could leave early with an injury or could, you know, really be lacking command that they had not have his fastball. And, and when that happens, that's where things spiral out of control quickly because ever since Jackson Finley went out, I mean, they've been, they've been searching for answers, you know, Marquise Grissom Jr. You know, it, it took a while for him to make his debut, but, I mean, any Georgia Tech fan that's been watching would say that, you know, he's been well worth the wait. And I'm sure that's something they are really excited about throughout the, the rest of this season is kind of seeing how he progresses and, and what his role is going to be on the team moving forward. Because, you know, he came in as a, a pitcher and an outfielder. You know, right now he's exclusively pitching and, and doing a pretty good job of it in, in limited circumstances. Um, but like you were talking about UGA, during the UGA game, the Georgia Tech's Sunday starter was pitching, came in and pitched. So it, it, there's a possibility that maybe, just maybe, Grissom may end up being the Sunday starter, uh, at least this weekend against Kennesaw, or you know they, they may go completely off grid and, and use some names that people haven't seen very much of this year. Yeah, it's going to be um, kind of an interesting to, to track all of the, the machinations here because they have a um, – you know, an interesting final stretch of games here with still have Clemson, North Carolina. You got another game with Georgia. You get the Kennesaw series this weekend. Um, 
and I think they have one more road series too somewhere in there. Um, I think it's Miami. Yeah, it might be. Who are very tough. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I, I mean, I think the problem for Danny is the expectations got ratcheted up because of how they started and and just seeing you know how talented this team was, but um, pitching remains their Achilles heel. Yeah. And and errors actually um have been a big piece of it too. So uh it'll be interesting to see if they can make their run. Uh this is a kind of a weird baseball season the way it's setting up. So, you know, um maybe they'll uh you know, the people on the board really want them to open up the attendance for the final few series. Maybe you'll see something like that. I don't know. Um it's gonna be uh gonna be interesting and you know, we're going to be on top of all of it. Russell's holding down the recruiting front with my help now that uh, football's over. And um, we got the draft coming up and then more baseball this weekend uh, with a little in-state non-conference action. So it should be a fun week on Jackets Online. If you're not a subscriber, you should check it out. Um, we have uh, probably the ultimate fan forum for Georgia Tech fans and it's a lot of fun once you get in there and mix it up and um, uh, we're not immune to be catching heat on there ourselves. So uh, we try to keep it fun. Uh, sometimes feelings get hurt, but uh, it's all in good fun. And um, any final thoughts, Russell? No, I know we're I trying to pack a lot in here. Yeah, we've got to, we got to pack a lot in and I've got more interviews to transcribe. <laughs> So do I, my friend. I have a whole boatload of them on my phone that I got to start chewing through before they get too old and crispy. Right. Yeah. It's a balancing act when we have all, I mean, how many, uh, what was our list? It was like, we had 90 kids to interview or something, I think probably. Yeah. I have 35 on my phone. I've gone through five of them so far. I got another 20 ish. And then Alex has his, he probably has like a dozen. So, yeah. And then probably the other 20 kids no showed <laughs> that we don't have or just yeah, told us, no, there were a couple of those where, which is great. Um, sometimes that's good for us if we hear a no, um, because it allows us to, that's one less kiss. We got a track for now, you know, let's move along. So we try to, that's one of the beauties of the camp thing too. Cause I can look someone in the eye and be like, are you still looking at Georgia tech? Uh, not really i'm trying to remember there was a kid that literally told me that got my sheet um it was uh montreal henderson <laughs> the 2022 defensive tackle he's like nah not really talking to them much and i was Talks like yeah i was like all right cool uh you know i don't need to interview you right now let me know if that heats up and he was like cool <laughs> so yeah. I, was, I was like all right fair enough you know like I think that's one of the things that, um, that, you know, we had another one for our USF site where the kid was like, I have not heard from them in two months. I was like, okay, cool. Check you off. You're off the board and I can move on to the next guy. And, um, and we had one recruit who remained nameless, who was three inches shorter than advertised, um, on the defensive side of the ball and was like, I was at eye level with him, which was not good um, for the interview. <laughs> if you're uh, not a, say, flashy corner, 
Um, everyone else should be taller than me. Generally, I'm 5'10", 5'11", and you're a defensive lineman. Oops, and you're not as tall as I am, or you're as tall as I am, or like barely taller than me. You better be Grady Jarrett, or uh, this ain't going to work. So yeah, that was, and then there were, my favorite was the kid that told you he wants to go to school in the country. That was uh, Bo <laughs> Atkinson, right? Yeah, he said, you know, he said, honestly, you know, I'm not interested in going to school in a big city like that. I, I prefer the country life. Was like, cool, brother. <laughs> Appreciate you telling us. And my next you. question was, have you heard from Mississippi State? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, no doubt. But uh, on that note, um, we're going to wind it up and we should be back pretty regularly now uh, for the rest of uh, the summer as things have cooled off a little bit. So, um, yeah, it's just, it gets hard when when football practice August might be interesting again when when football practice ramps back up. But yeah, it kind of messes with our live Q&A podcast schedule. Uh, we got a, got a quick question for you. Yes, sir. Does Atlanta go quarterback tomorrow or do they go Kyle Pitts? I take Kyle Pitts, man. Like, I think so. I was talking to Chuck Oliver from 680 The Fan about this. Um, he was down at the the Georgia Tech spring game, and they were doing a segment on it on the air. And when they got done, him and uh, Matt Chernoff got done. Chuck took his headset off. He was talking to Matt, who was in the studio, and um, I was like, Chuck was of my opinion, which is you take all of the offensive guys you can get right now because you're going to milk whatever you have left out of Matt Ryan here, regardless of who you take on defense, your defense is going to be terrible again. So try to be entertaining and score as many points as you can and, and maybe get into the playoffs that way. I mean, there's not enough, if they drafted nothing but defensive players, they still would not be good enough on defense to win games that way. And they would, the offense would suck. So I think you got to take pits and you got to take whoever else you can get. If you can get Etienne later, take him like, I think you go all in to try to win right now with Matt Ryan. You could take Jamie Newman or Davis Mills or whoever late in the draft if you want to take a quarterback and see what happens. But to me, I'm not worried about trying to restock that defense. I'm trying to score points and put some weapons around Matt Ryan because you're stuck with him for a little while longer. By the way, if you make Matt Ryan look good, then you can trade him eventually. Yeah, See, I don't know. I'm really interested to see what's going to happen. I know my wife isn't really excited about it, the draft being three days. She's not excited about 72 hours of you sitting on the couch watching the draft? (laughs) Or 54 hours or whatever it is it works out to be? like that. The one that sucks is the, the last day where it's like, they're in like commercials and like some kid that you're tracking gets drafted and (laughs) you know, like Jalen camp will get drafted, but they will be like in the middle of talking to, you know, um, one of the first round picks or something. No, not even that. They might like be interviewing like Will Ferrell about something or like (laughs) just, you know, showing my, one of my favorite highlights, which is Mel Kiper going off on the jets, like the montage of him making fun of the jets, crappy draft picks. Um, you know, it'll be like something like that. And then I'll see like where my phone will start buzzing and I'll look down and like, damn it. They're like, they didn't even talk about it. You know, like I've been watching this crap for 16 hours and the one person relevant to me just got drafted. And they don't even, they mention it for like half a second and move along. So. Right. 
Yeah, I think, you know, but when they do get that moment, if they do get that moment, whether it's on, you know, NFL Network or, or ESPN, I think, you know, that moment where you know, they show maybe a little little cut up and, and talk about them for even just, you know, a moment. I think that's something that really excites the kid, the program. And I mean, you know, the, the program will find it and blast it all over social yep. media and be all over it. And, you know, that's what's what's so cool about these moments is, you know, a lot of these kids who are, are going to get drafted, you know, they didn't have a plan B. You know, they wanted to play and they wanted to play in the NFL and they're going to be able to do so. But, you know, your Davis Mills thing, Davis Mills in Atlanta, that's an interesting preposition. Yep. He almost set it up in Atlanta this offseason, but that's a whole other story this past year. Sorry. But uh, that's a that's a story for another day. Um, yeah. Maybe if we ever start it paywalled podcast they'll tell that story um you know at at the end of the day man it's uh i'm excited for these kids i think it's the draft's always cool um i even watch the nba draft and i'm not that into the nba but um i get a kick out of my favorite part of the nba draft is watching them like stammer over like the the foreign kids at the end of the first round and the second round like yeah you know uh like uh boris they had a hard time with like boris diao i remember like when he came out from france or wherever it was like it's just funny to me so i i uh i think that the i think it's fun to watch that it's cool that they're gonna have the kids some of the kids there and everything and tested and they'll hug up on them and all that because i do enjoy watching them the uh, the various awkward exchanges with Roger Goodell and yeah. um, seeing be, what, the 20, people cry. Twenty kids up here, something like that. And, and whoever the po- whoever the poor bastard is that falls. Um, what was the last really bad one? It was a quarterback um, that fell like a stone in the draft a few years ago. Um, oh my god! They kept showing him, and he was just seething. Oh uh, damn it! There's so many of those I can't even think. I just man, it it's gonna be really hard for me to hard to swallow if they they turn down taking the Atlanta kid tomorrow night at number four if he's there. So you want um. So what do you what do you want the Falcons to do then? You don't want them to take offensive guys. You want them to go, or do you no, want to take want, them Fields? Yes, I want Justin Fields. Man, I, I tell you what, I am not on the Justin Fields hype wagon. I've never been a huge fan of um, a lot of his game. So uh, color me as someone that's not on that bandwagon. Um, I joked with uh, the, our Ohio State guys at the yeah. Miami camp that that Justin, I was being a bit facetious because I don't necessarily believe this, but I said that Justin Fields might be the next Keely Smith. Um, and and they they look like they wanted if they could have shot lasers from their eyes they would have uh, cut me into pieces um, with that comment yes. but it was made from a, a both a point of uh, giving them a hard time and also uh, trying to get a laugh uh, from some people that were sitting there which I did so yeah um no I don't want them to, I think Fields. I like Fields. Maybe Fields will have a great career. Maybe it'll be the next Lamar Jackson. But, um, you know, 
the thing that made Lamar Jackson great was he played at Louisville with nothing around him. He had like literally like guys who wouldn't start at like other ACC schools or were they even in the American then? Whatever. The guys who wouldn't start at other schools on that level playing as a skill guys. Right. And he would just drop dimes into them and stuff. Justin Fields playing with nothing but like the best guys, like pretty much like other than maybe when they play Clemson or something. So I think he's a lot more reliant on elite talent than um, some other quarterbacks in this draft. And you could say the same thing about Trevor Lawrence. He played with elite talent, but Trevor Lawrence could also throw, hit a like a shoebox with a football 60 yards out if he wanted to. Like that's how accurate he is. Um, I mean, I've seen Meyer out of retirement. Yeah, dude, I've seen like three or four guys ever throw some of the passes I've seen Trevor Lawrence throw in person. So, um, yeah, I've seen fields a couple of times in person just has never struck me as being that guy. And, you know, maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe I'll be right. But if I'm the Falcons, I do not, I'm not touching that man. I'll too bad. They can't trade to pick. Cause I would trade back a little bit and try to take pits later or, or uh, the offensive lineman from uh, Oregon. Yeah, I think, you know, Cincinnati's going to be licking their chops if he's going to be there at, at five for them. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the Falcons do, man. Um, that is a really good question and uh, something interesting worth watching because, uh, like, I, I I mean, I'm just telling you, my thought is that you got to win now while you're stuck with Matt Ryan. Try to win now with him and then figure that out, rest out later. It's a smart strategy. You can tell you and uh, Thomas Dimitrov may, may have had a contact or two. Because, <laughs> you know, for, for years, that's what the Falcons have done. You know, it's, it's kind of like what the Hawks did for so long. The Hawks had that playoff streak where they were going to the playoffs year after year after year, but they would run into LeBron every year, and LeBron would sweep them every year. And, you know, it, it's just, you know, you can't you can't always just settle for for eight and eight or seven and nine or even ten and six. You know, sometimes you gotta strive to get you gotta suck for a little bit to get to the the twelve and four or the twenty eight to three lead in the Super Bowl. You know, I mean something. Yeah, I uh I'm I'm very curious to see uh you know what they gotta do to kick it up a level because right now it's sort of un uh the sort of it, this impasse and like you said and um i uh i'm i like to see the falcons do well i think it's fun when they're good um i enjoyed the mike vick years i enjoyed when matt ryan had them clicking um i even enjoyed when jerry glanville was there and you were a wee baby russell and they were playing in outside over in the brave stadium folk county and wearing the uh, red uniforms and the black uniforms and, and the run and shoot um, with Andre Risen and all those cats and Chris Miller. So I've always enjoyed watching some Falcons guys. I'm not necessarily a Falcons fan, but uh, um, I, I, you know, I do think they, um, if they don't trade, I, my money's on pits. So I still think they try to trade it though. See, I wouldn't be – I'll either want a quarterback or a trade. That's just – See, yeah, if they trade, I don't think you'd be angry. So No, no, but they'll find a way to mess it up somehow. <laughs> well, you know, the, the tradition of um, 
Atlanta sports is to, yeah, they might get a great player, but they'll trade and give up Phillip rivers and Ladanian Tomlinson for, uh, for Mike Vick, you know what I mean? Like two, two franchise players for just the fluke of how it'll work out or the many, many, many moves the Hawks have done over the years, like trading Pau Gasol for a bag of chips or, um, I mean, you could even still argue about the Trey Young thing a little bit. And you know, who got the better end of that one? Hurt. Yeah, yeah. Got the better end of that deal. So, but, you know, that's another story for another podcast. I can do my Hawks rant about how mismanaged the Hawks have been for 40 years. The last really great move they made was, you know, trading for Dominique Wilkins in 1980 or whatever it was, 1980 or 81, whatever that was. So, um, again, another another topic for another day. But on that note, we'll wrap things up, Russell. You go get some sleep, and I'll uh, be putting this podcast up. And if you guys like this, uh, subscribe to Jackets Online, uh, subscribe to the podcast. All of those things help us out. So, for Russell Johnson, I'm Kelly Quinn. This has been the Jackets Online podcast.